Thank you for tuning into this week's message. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about your life change. So if you have a story about how God has made a move in your life or impacted your life in any way, send an email to amen at findvelocity.org. We hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Now let's lean in and enjoy the message. Uh, I'm Jacob. I'm the campus pastor of our West Campus. And uh, as before we get into the Word today, I just want to take a, a few quick moments and I just want to give some thanks, some personal thanks to our pastors, Pastor Justin, Pastor Marissa. Can we give it up for them? If you're here, if you're watching online, let's just type in the chat, put in those emojis. I just want to take a minute and tell you why I am so grateful for them. I'm grateful for the leadership that they, that they, uh, that they selflessly give to our church. That, that culture that we're building in our church, God, that they model it. God, I'm grateful that they're the, the, they're the anchor, that, they, that even in this time when things are hard, when we're facing trials, uh, when we're facing difficulties, when there's uncertainty and anxiety, I am personally thankful and I am better because of their leadership and their influence in my life. So I'm just so grateful for them. Can we give it up for them just one more time? And if you're watching online, you're here at one of our watch parties, you need to know that next week is going to be an exciting week. We are transitioning from watch parties back into worship experiences at both of our locations. What I want to tell you, though, is that uh, is, is if you're thinking about, uh, if you haven't reconnected with us in person, I just want to let you know we're going to be going above and beyond. And, and I, would, I just want to say, personally, I am so proud of what our teams have done to help make a safe environment for our guests. For our teams that make this happen, so grateful for you, so thankful for you. We're going to continue to do all the things to, uh, to, to make sure we're doing all the things that we can do to keep your family safe and secure. And we would just love to reconnect with you in person. Uh, but if that's not you, that's, that's why we do the live stream. So we're excited to connect with you there. So uh, let's just get into the word together. I don't really have a transition there. So I'm just going to like hard stop into the next thing. I want to say that... Um, no matter where you're at right now, and I don't know where you're at right now, but no matter where you're at right now, I think we can acknowledge that the last six months have probably been difficult. Is there anybody here who would say, you know what, the last six months have been super easy, like it's just been going from one highlight to one highlight, from one great thing to the next great thing? I mean, it's a little hazy in here, but I don't see any hands up. If that's you, put it in the chat, and what will happen is our hosts will contact you because I want to connect with you because I want to learn from you about how you did that. But I think for most of us, when we look at the pandemic, ongoing issues in our society of racial disparities in our criminal justice system that have just be become more and more evident, not that they weren't, political divisiveness, economic uncertainty, I think it's important to acknowledge we've all been affected by those things. And we've all been affected, but, but I also want to acknowledge that each of our experiences is a little bit different. We have common elements, but each of our experiences in the last six months has been hard. And what I want you to know as we get started here together today is part of that is unique to you, but the broader brushstrokes of the struggle that you've been, been going through, the weight and the anxiety and the uncertainty you've been feeling, I want you to know that that's not unique to you. They may be, it may be a new experience for you, but it's not a new experience for people. And here's the other thing I want to tell you, it's not a new experience for God. 
we can find evidence of this throughout Scripture, right? In the sense of uh, when we look at one of the places that's always spoken clearly to me, trials, tribulations, difficulties, uncertainty, anxiety, all of those things, one of the places that I look is, is in the history where I'm, where I'm comforted, where I'm built up, is by looking at how, how the Bible lays out the history of the early church and how honest they are, the writers of, those, of, of the New Testament, of whom Paul is probably uh, is the one most responsible, but those writers are so transparent with us about what those experiences were. They didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't hide the difficult parts. There's, there's a word for somebody, maybe. Uh, you know, when we look at those things, for me, it's helpful to know I'm not the first person to go through something like this. And I can look at Paul, and if you don't know who Paul is, one of the apostles wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, kind of one of the key leaders of the early church, and transitioning from, uh, from Jesus' ministry when it ended to the church that we kind of know today, Paul was one of the guys that was most instrumental in that early period of helping the church uh, translate, navigate, and expand its ministry. But you know what else? Paul is a guy who was familiar with uncertainty and familiar with anxiety. What I want to share with you today is part of one of Paul's letters to the church in Philippi. At that time, Philippi was a community that was experiencing a lot of good things, actually. It was, it was wealthy. It was kind of an up-and-coming place. It was on trade routes. It was part of the Roman Empire. It was known as a place, uh, it was known as, as kind of a, a place where things were moving and shaking. Paul's writing a letter to the church there. And the context of where Paul is writing, he's writing from prison. And we don't know for certain, but based on the language that Paul uses in this letter, it, 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 is, it is apparent that he's facing a personal difficulty. Some scholars believe that he was facing capital charges, and he was imprisoned waiting on the trial. So Paul was facing losing his life, and he was in prison waiting for that to be resolved. And he's writing to the church of Philippi at a time, one of the earliest churches, one of the churches that Paul planted, and... Paul's writing to them because that church is going through some things too. That church is experiencing the effects of disunity. There's personal conflict in the, within the church that's threatening to pull it apart. So even in this community that's experiencing prosperity, experiencing wealth, we see the people in the church are struggling, and Paul as their leader is, is reaching out to them even in the midst of his own struggles to help them make it through. And what I want to share with you today is, is part of what Paul's message to that church, uh, to that church of Philippi. And it starts, and we've got the words, or if you can turn, your, turn to your Bible, we're in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and here's how Paul starts. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I hear a few of you laughing. I don't know how this hits you. But can I be honest and real with you guys for a minute? It doesn't hit me. It doesn't sit well with me 
And part of that is maybe I'm triggered by it because I feel like I see statements like this all the time on social media that just say, hey, if you're anxious, just don't be that anymore. I hear your laughter and I'm with you because you know what? That's great, but if I knew how to do that, don't you think I would already be doing it? I don't need you to tell me to not do that anymore. So thanks, there's one more thing that I'm already not doing well. But you know what, thankfully Paul doesn't stop there. And this is what I love about Paul. If you know me, you know there's nothing that I love more than a long, well-crafted email. Like that's how I express myself most clearly. I mean, I think what you're getting today is hopefully like a close second best to that. But what I love about Paul's writing is he, thankfully Paul was not delivering this message on Twitter where he has 280 characters, right? Paul, Paul goes on to provide some context for this. He doesn't stop just with don't be anxious about anything. He gives some specific intentional advice about how to do that. And it's there I want to focus today. So we're going to skip ahead, skip a couple verses down to Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 8. And so it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, say whatever with me, or if you're online, just type it in the chat. Say whatever. And notice, this isn't a whatever like the whatever. This is a different kind of whatever. I heard a few of you were just like, whatever. That word's been co-opted, right? But we're taking it back. Whatever is right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to unpack that scripture with you today. And because I believe it holds the key and it's the playbook for how to deal with uncertainty, anxiety, frustration in a healthy, godly way. And this is what God spoke to me this week in preparing this message. And I believe that he has something in it for you as well. So let's dive into that together. Maybe you know this about me, maybe you don't. But in addition to being a pastor at Velocity Church, I'm also a professor at KU. Rock chalk, anybody? Can I get a rock chalk from somebody? All right, that, that was weak, but, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll endeavor to do better next time. Um, I've, I have a doctorate in public administration. Wow, yeah, thank you, whoever that one person was. That's great. Uh, I'm trained in economics. I've trained in finance. I teach graduate courses in public policy, in quantitative methods and stats, and in finance. Yeah, guess what? By the emptiness of the room, I know what you're thinking. Great. That does not seem like a compelling resume to deliver an engaging sermon. You know what? To that, I would say, it says in the Bible that you shouldn't judge people. So I would encourage you to like lean into that scripture if that was you. I also want to ask you to reserve judgment. I mean, in the, like my track record speaks for itself. I have a two-part lecture, two lecture that I do in my policy class on benefit-cost analysis. And I'm telling you, it has students on the edge of their seats. About five hours long. Not going to keep you here that long today. We're going to try to keep it to three or three and a half. A couple of you were nervous. There's new people in the room who were like, wait a minute. What did I, what did I sign up? No, we're not going to be here that long. The worship team will come and drag me off stage if, if we get there. Uh, but I'm telling, like, hang in there with me. Extend a little bit of trust. And I feel like by the end, uh, my goal is to add some value. So, 
Something that's really encouraging to me in that context is I've been fortunate enough to be doing this long enough that there are times when my work at KU, the research that I do, and the work that I do at Velocity overlap. And those are beautiful moments for me. And, um, you know, last time I preached, I had the opportunity to talk about uh, the, the importance of being gritty. Man, has there ever been a time in, in, in human history when grittiness was maybe a more important skill than it is right now? I mean, so, you know, and, and we talked about that in the context, not just of research about grittiness, but about Paul. And I use Paul, you can see Paul's my go-to guy. Uh, Paul is the example of what it means to be a gritty Christian. So today I want to talk about something that is uh, related to that, but a little different. And what I want to talk to you about today is your perspective. Now you may know it, you may not, but your perspective is one of the most important things about you. It impacts nearly everything that you do, all the things you experience, all of the relationships that you have, all of the, all of the things that you go through, all of the, all of the all, all, basically everything in your life gets filtered through the lens of your perspective. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you never thought about that before, but maybe as I said it, you were like, all right, I can see that. So here's the challenging question. Where does your perspective come from? So this is where for those of you on the edge of your seats here or at home, we get to dive into the amazing world of research together. And you may be saying that I'm saying that ironically, but I totally am not. Like, this is what I geek out on. I'm dragging you along for the ride because I got the microphone in my hand. So what I want to focus on today is a body of work by an economist named Daniel Kahneman and a psychologist named Amos Traversky. These two guys had a 30-year career together. And what they were doing is exploring the impact where your perspective comes from and the impact of your perspective on your experiences. And here's what they discovered, is that when you look at our brains, your brain basically has two systems through which your experiences are, are, and your perspective are developed, are, are, where they come together. So these guys are, are, are college professors, not pastors. So they didn't try to come up with like clever rhyming names for these two systems to try to make it memorable for you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, since I exist in both camps, I'm gonna try to interject a little of that for you. Uh, but they just called them system one and system two. Now is there a more like boring, dull name than that? Hang in there with me. So we've got a slide up here that we'll put on the screen that talks about system one and system two. What I'm going to call system one, I'm going to call it your fast brain, because that's a little more engaging. So your fast brain is your gut. It's instinctive. It's automatic. It's emotional. It's driven by impressions. Your slow brain is, uh, is system two. So your slow brain is, uh, is your conscious, your deliberate, your logical, your rational self. So... System one is your intuition or your gut. System two is that analytical, critical thinking part. System one takes care of first impressions. System two does reflection and problem solving. Your fast brain and your slow brain. Just so I know who I'm talking to here, and, and if you're watching online, you can put it in the chat. 
how many of you raise your hand or type it out if you would say that you are mostly in your approach to daily life a slow brain person you are you are conscious you're deliberate you're intentional you're rational you're logical show of hands how many would how many would say i'm that person that is a depressing few number of you at least in terms of who's here but hey good news so the others of you would say i am a i am a system one person i'm fast brain person i'm i'm instinctive i go by my gut uh you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working off of those impressions, emotions. What I would say to you, if that's you and you said, I'm that, I'm that fast brain person, congratulations. Like, you probably have a lucrative career waiting for you in the world of reality television. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, when we look at those, my wife told me to take that joke out. But, uh, but you know, it's based, on, it's based on what I see her watching, which is a whole other sermon about, like, the purity of what you're, uh, of what you're surrounding yourself with. I'm not going to go there because I think maybe her mom's watching the live stream. It's a whole other thing. But uh, what, what, what these researchers found is that whether you were a person who said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a slow brain person, or whether I'm a person who said, I'm a fast brain person, almost all of us are almost always fast brain people, whether you think you are or not. Often we think about ourselves as like rational and deliberate, and maybe the people around us are the emotional people. But the reality is that in, in studies that they conducted, overwhelmingly, we are almost always operating out of our fast brain almost all of the time. We only use our slow brain when we stop and deliberately make the choice to engage it. I'll give you a quick example. How many of you guys drive? Show of hands, drive. Okay, so there are a few of you that don't, so like just hang in there. I got something for you in a second. But for those of you that drive, think back to the experience where you're learning how to drive. Or if you're a parent, when you were teaching your kid how to drive. I can think back on that. Uh, it's been a number of years, I won't tell you how many, but I can remember really distinctly having gone through driver's ed class and getting in the wheel, getting behind the wheel of the car, my dad in the passenger seat, and this is one of the first times that we're like journeying out of the parking lot onto the real road as he's teaching me to drive. Can I just tell you how stressful that was? Because I'm thinking about, I gotta like watch ahead, gotta check the mirror, Gotta look at the speedometer, gotta check the rear view mirror, gotta check the side view mirror, gotta look at the, you know, and, and you're going through like all of those things and it's exhausting. Like to the point that during this time, my dad's in the car with me, I like stopped, we were stopped and I was like, dad, you have to turn off the radio. Like I'm trying to concentrate here and that is getting in the way. Has anybody else had that kind of experience learning to drive? The reason that most of us have that experience learning to drive is because we're using our slow brain because it's something new. We're engaging our slow brain to learn the process. But if you know me now, I'm not a slow brain driver anymore. You know, I can listen to a podcast, be talking to somebody on the phone, eating lunch, steering with my knees. You know, it's like, don't do those things, right? Don't do those things. But, but you get the point, right? You're, over time, your mind moves that skill that comes in as a slow brain skill into a fast brain skill because fast brain, like those things are automatic, they're on autopilot. Your brain is an expensive thing to run, actually. And so what your body does is puts as much stuff on autopilot as it can to save your brain power for the things that, where you really need it. Here's a simpler example. I need you to engage with me here and engage in the chat. What's two plus two? One more time, what's two plus two? Okay. So, that's your fast brain, I hope. <laughs> you didn't have to think about that. If you did, like that's a conviction of our education system, different, different, different sermon, different lecture series, whatever you want to call it. But that's your fast brain. You don't have to think. Okay, what's 17 times 8? 
I'm a professor. I'll write out this awkward silence. You forever. 136. Thank you. Round of applause. 136 is the right answer. But that's a slow brain solution in the sense of, for some of you, your slow brain was like, don't even bother. You're not going to get there. Just, just stop. But for those of you that were working on it, you actually kick in the ability, the, like the thought process kicks in, the intentionality kicks in, and what happens inside, like inside your brain chemically is like your pupils dilate, your body sends more blood to your brain to power that thinking, and you crank through the computation. You're engaging your slow brain. Here's a problem, though, with the fact that we're fast brain thinkers most of the time. Your fast brain lies to you sometimes. So those impressions, those instinctive reactions, our fast brain works really well a lot of the time, except when we're in a new situation or dealing with something that we haven't been through before. Those kinds of unfamiliar experiences what our, slow, what our fast brain does, your fast brain, its, its job is to create a narrative that explains what you're experiencing. It's the gatekeeper to your perspective. And what your fast brain does is pass that narrative to your slow brain. And your slow brain is conditioned to take that narrative, not really question it, and what it does is takes that narrative and seeps it into your beliefs and your identity. When our fast brain is working well, this is a benefit to us. But when our fast brain isn't, when it jumps to conclusions, and when, when you're in, a, when you're in a, a circumstance of a lot of uncertainty, your fast brain goes from an asset to a liability. It becomes a machine that's designed to jump to conclusions. And what happens is those things even if they're untrue, even if they're incomplete, even if they're based on limited information, get passed and stored and seep into who we are. That situation that I just described, what I'm calling that is the speed trap. And that's the title of our message today. So you're probably thinking, and if you're engaging your slow brain, you're thinking, okay, that's really great. My slow brain is telling me right now that I come to church to hear a sermon, and this sounds an awful lot like a TED Talk. Okay, fair criticism. Let's circle back to scripture together. Let's go back to Paul's advice to the church of Philippi. And we'll put that back up on the screen. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You may realize this or you may not, but there's a battle going on right now for your mind. The speed trap is where that battle is being decided. What grabbed onto me in this verse is Paul's giving us, is acknowledging the existence of the speed trap and based on his experiences, providing us with the playbook, the strategy he developed to escape being trapped by it. What's cool to me is how well this lines up with what science hundreds of years later has learned about how our brains physically operate. Over the last six months, you've probably had a lot of opportunities to fall into the speed trap. Your brain jumping to a conclusion based on your immediate circumstance with incomplete information. Let me give you some examples of what that might look like for you and has looked like for me. Economic uncertainty turning into doubt about God's promises to provide for us. 
Spread of illness turning into doubt about God's power to heal. Shelter in place and social distancing, things designed to help keep us safe, turning into doubts about how, uh, how important is God's plan for us to gather in person, really. Bad things happening, turning into doubt that God's love for us is unconditional. Political and social unrest, turning into doubts that God's in control and that he has a plan. Here's what I want to say to you, and what Paul's telling us in this letter in these situations, there are two distinct things happening, almost simultaneously, but two distinct things. Step one, your fast brain is creating a narrative that contains doubt. Step two, that narrative is being passed on to your slow brain, which incorporates it into your core beliefs and your core identity. What Paul wants you to see is that the speed trap has two components. You need to know that Paul's battle plan for countering that is very specific. S controlling step one is difficult, if not impossible. So maybe you felt like this before, because I felt like this is when I, when I face the uncertainties or anxieties, I feel like what I've been told is like what I need to do is take actions to stop the, doubting, the, the thoughts of doubt from entering my head. Right? It's the, hey, if you're anxious, just stop being anxious. Maybe that's a strategy that's worked for some of you, but that's never been one that's worked for me. Controlling our thoughts is hard. It's not impossible, right? They're, it's controlled by what you surround yourself with in your environment to some extent. But if your main strategy is to control your thoughts, what's coming in, you're going to be exhausted. If you're, I'm speaking from my experience, you're going to feel exhausted and overwhelmed a lot of the time because that's hard, if not impossible, to do. But you know what? The cool thing is, is that that's not the recipe Paul's giving us. But I also want to tell you that if you're feeling like that or you felt like that, there is nothing wrong or sinful about doubt. Let's say that again. There is nothing wrong or sinful about doubt. Scripture is clear that doubt is part of our normal human existence. One of the passages of Scripture that, that, to, that speaks to me, that demonstrates this to me most clearly, is in John chapter 20. Jesus appears to the disciples, but one of them, Thomas, isn't there. Now, what do we call Thomas? Doubting to Man, what a, what a, what a, you just feel for Thomas, like this one moment in his life defines, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a label attached to his name forever. Thomas isn't there. The disciples go to Thomas and say, uh, hey, Jesus appeared to us. He was here. His promises about his, like, they're true. And what does Thomas say? Fantastic. I'm so glad. No, Thomas says, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great that you think that. But until I see him and until I experience that for myself, I'm not so sure. I don't think so. And so what happens? I'll tell you what doesn't happen. But this is what you might think should happen based on how we're, how we're told to think about doubt. You may think Jesus appears to Thomas and says, you know what, Thomas, like your doubt has disqualified you. You were part of the inner circle, but you're kicked out now because there's no place for that here. But that's not what happens. Jesus doesn't meet Thomas's doubt with judgment. He meets it with evidence. Jesus appears to Thomas and says, Thomas, here I am. 
Come here, and if you need to, put your hand in the wound and feel it, that it's real. Jesus responds not with judgment, with evidence. And so isn't that what Paul's saying? That doubt that Thomas had, the uncertainty that the church of Philippi was experiencing. No one's saying to them, you know what you should do? Just get over it. Like, push that doubt out of your mind. You know what? If you were a good believer, like, it probably wouldn't be there in the first place. So what you need to do is just get over it. And if you can't, like, that's on you. Because of how your fast brain works, that's an impossible proposition. So if you feel like you've tried that unsuccessfully, don't give up. Change your tactic. What's more amazing about this verse is Paul doesn't just clue us into that. But he gives us the playbook of actually how to do it. So we've got just a few minutes remaining. You know, it wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't give you three points, right? So I'm going to give you Paul's three-step plan that you can employ when you feel yourself stuck in the speed trap. Here's the, and this, this is just based on this scripture. The first part of that plan is you need to acknowledge the emotion. Pretending that you aren't feeling that anxiety, not admitting it, what any of you like bottling it up, pushing it down, hiding it. Sometimes that feels like the right approach. But can I tell you, like, that's never going to lead to someplace healthy for you? What you need to do is stop and admit and acknowledge what you're feeling. Because what that does is it productively engages your slow brain. You kick in slow brain thinking that says like, hey, whatever's coming from the fast brain, don't just take it on faith. Let's look at it a little bit. And you know what? Say it out loud. But you know what's even better? Say it in prayer. God knows how you're feeling. Why keep it from him? Acknowledge that emotion. Man, if, if, if you want some scripture that validates like this is, this, is the, this is what we're supposed to do, read through the Psalms written by David. David, a guy who went through incredible trials, tribulations, stress, anxiety, anger, uncertainty, sadness, like the gamut of those negative emotions, David experienced them all. And what I love about Psalms is that he gives those to God in prayer. He says, God, here's how I'm feeling right now. Help me. He says, God, I'm not hiding this from you. Here's my frustration. Help me through it. Acknowledge your emotion. The second step of Paul's plan, assemble your entourage. Notice the verse starts, brothers and sisters. This tells me Paul isn't speaking to a limited audience. He's talking to everybody. Two things about this. It means we all go through these same things. If you feel trapped and like, I'm going through this, but nobody could possibly understand it. And if, like, if I tell people about it, they're going like, to look at me funny or, not, or not, like, not accept me. Throw those lies aside. Don't let that hold you back. We've, we're, we're, we've all been there, and we're all in this together. Second, this tells me you're not meant to do it alone. You know what? That's why here at Velocity, we talk about the secret sauce of this church are groups and teams. The reason that we talk about that so much is because you aren't designed to be on a solo mission. If you're approaching it that way, can I tell you it's not impossible that you will succeed, but you are making it so much harder than it has to be. And let me say one more thing, just to be clear. Sometimes the best path forward is to seek professional help. This stuff is hard. 
take advantage of the resources that are available to you to help you escape the speed trap. You have to assemble your entourage. Last step, accumulate the evidence. Paul's letters tell, tell us there's two components to this. One by the whatevers, not the whatevers, but the whatevers, and one by the if anythings. If you go back to that scripture, the whatevers represent God's revealed truth to you through his word. How do you know that truth? By being in his word. The Bible is God's perfect truth spoken directly to and for us. Paul says if you want to be able to separate truth and lies, you have to understand the source of truth, the source of nobility, the source of righteousness, the source of purity, the source of beauty. Those things are all characteristics of God. I challenge you when, you, when we're done today, sometime this week, go back to Philippians 4.8, reread that verse, and substitute the word Jesus for everywhere it says whatever. God's the, God's the originator of those things. So to understand them, you have to understand him. Prepare for the trap by being armed with God's word. The last piece is the anythings. The anythings represent God's presence in your life and the blessings that he's brought to you. What things are excellent and worthy of praise? It's what Paul says. Well, those things by definition are from God because everything that's excellent, everything worthy of praise, he is the author of all of those things. So if there's something excellent and worthy of praise in your life, you know that is evidence of God's presence with you. So what Paul is saying here is we have to be intentional in thinking about those things because here's the thing, God is never far from you, but your perspective can sometimes convince you that he is. And what you have to do, this isn't a power of positive thinking statement. Paul says you need to be able to supply your slow brain with the evidence it needs to pull itself out of the speed trap. He's saying that even in difficult times, the evidence of God's presence is all around us. But here's the thing. You won't see it if you don't choose to look for it. You have to be purposeful in that. You have to choose to accumulate the evidence. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching at Velocity. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on more great messages, just like this one. If today's message impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others with the message of Jesus, go to findvelocity.org backslash give, and you can partner with us financially. Thanks again for tuning in. Have an amazing week, Velocity, and remember, wherever you are, just keep moving forward.